Who wants to be there? Beats being here at times. And it's good to, um, to look forward to that day. And uh, glad to have Pastor Fisher with us. Thanks, preacher, for being here. Appreciate you. And uh, church, let's have our Bibles ready. Thanks, preacher. All right, good to see you all tonight. How's everybody okay? The more you talk to me, the sooner I'm done. How's everybody? Yeah, I knew that would that'd stir you up. Some of you haven't eaten yet, so we need to get out of here in good order. Good to see you. Uh, I want to give you a little Bible study tonight that uh, would not be for the world. It's for the church tonight a little bit. And I want to suggest something to you tonight for your consideration. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you don't mind, would you get the mindset to study a little bit? Uh, turn to a few different scriptures. I won't be at one scripture very long, but I want to make sure that uh, you understand the principle behind this. I told Pastor, uh, this is kind of a new message for me to take on the road. I, I spoke to our church about it, but I'd never taken it on the road before. But on the way over here today, I, uh, I thought... Uh, uh, I don't know, somewhere after you've been on an airplane for a little bit, you start thinking about different things, and I thought maybe this would be the one for tonight. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you know what, we'll get to that one in a minute. I want to I wanna add one more in here. Look at 2 Corinthians 2 first, we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in a minute, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, um, I want you to look at, if you would, at uh, verse number 10, Verse number 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive, forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave, forgave it I in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get a what? Say it. An advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. I want to talk about one of his devices tonight. One of his, uh, if you would, uh, schemes or one of his thoughts that he would attack Christians with just a little bit. And I want you to see in verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage like the upper hand, like where he would get influence in some way, shape, or form over us. We're not supposed to be ignorant of his what? Say it. Devices. So we need to be knowledgeable about something tonight. And uh, one of the things when I was in the military... They used to teach us, uh, in my days, the America, in the United States, uh, we had just come off Vietnam and we were fighting a Russian-backed force and a Chinese-backed force at the time. So we would learn, they would teach us about Russian and Chinese tactics. And the idea was, if we knew how they were going to fight us and what were some of the... Uh, schemes and maneuvers and devices that they use that we could better be ready for it and combat against it. So uh, sometimes we as Christians need a little bit of a military briefing. What do you mean? Uh, we need to be told here's what the enemy might do. Here's what the enemy might use on us. Uh, here's what's going on. And, and by the way, uh, we don't have it figured out, but the book does. So the idea is the Bible teaches some of the tricks, the wiles, the schemes, and with that in mind, look if you would at Ephesians chapter 6. We're not to the device yet, I'm just setting you up so you understand the importance of not being ignorant to the devices. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, you're familiar with this, so 
The idea tonight is we don't want to be ignorant to the enemy's devices, and you would agree principalities and powers are our enemy. Would you agree with that? Notice, if you would, Ephesians chapter 6, and look what it says. Verse number 11, or verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of His mights. And then, he says, put on the whole armor of God. So the idea is the defensive against that you may be able to stand against the wiles, that's the devices, of the devil. Well, the opposite of stand is obviously to fall. And notice what he says in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may, able, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Brethren, I don't know if you've been in Christianity long enough to see soldiers fall. I don't know if you've been around long enough to notice that uh, some people who used to be in the battle aren't anymore. And what we have to be careful about is that we don't become part of the casualties. Look, they're Christians, they're still going to heaven, but what I want to tell you is we want to be effective Christians. And we want to understand in our minds how to withstand that evil day. And part, part of our defenses in this armor is having the understanding of what trick or scheme or device that he might use against you and I. Stay with me just a little bit more. And notice if you would in the book of Revelation, stay with me, Revelations chapter number 12, Revelations chapter number 12. And I want to remind you about one of, the, uh, one of the attributes of Satan, so then we'll get into the specifics. Look at Revelations chapter 12. And verse number 10, verse number 10 says, uh, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Uh, let me remind you that uh, we have someone that's against us because we identify with Christ, and what he would want to do is accuse us and put the blame on us or find fault with us or get us to the place, if you would, where the accusations and, and uh, am I the only one that once in a while you get a voice up here in your brain and you wonder where did that come from? Good, thank you. I heard a couple of ooms, so I'm taking that as, a, I'm taking that as being an amen. That once in a while, mm, you get a voice that comes through, you go, boy, that wasn't God. Where'd that come from? And he puts blame and he finds fault, one of his devices, if you would, one of his tricks to cause us to not stand but to fall, to demotivate us, if you would. And I want to show you one specifically tonight. Let me show you the positive first. Look at Galatians chapter 5. And we're getting to one of his devices tonight, just one of them. And I want you to focus in on this in just a couple moments. Look at Galatians chapter number 5. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Verse number 13, thanks for turning to the Scriptures. We'll give you a t-shirt when we're done that says, I turn to all the Scriptures, amen. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, that's you and I, ye have been called unto liberty. Now, by the way, liberty is, doesn't mean we go out and do whatever we want to do. Liberty is being freed from the old nature. When we get saved, He begins to call us unto liberty. And liberty doesn't mean we just go out and do whatever we want to do. In fact, the liberty is to free us from the bondage of sin, to free us from some of the old habits that maybe some of us develop. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Then it says this, But by love do what? Say it. Serve one another. Verse 14, For all the laws are fulfilled in one word, even this, 
Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then notice the next thing he says. After he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, by love serve one another. That's in family, that's in home, that's in church. Then he says this, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Let's stop there for a moment because by love we're supposed to serve one another. And the law is fulfilled in that we should love thy neighbor as thyself. But then he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye are not consumed one of another. I want to say that uh, if we're not careful, there's a word that describes this concept of biting and devouring each other, and it's in verse number 26. Look at verse 26 with the thought in mind. Verse 26 of Galatians 5, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, and here's the word, envying one another. Envying one another. Well, well, you say, I don't know if I envy anybody. Stay with me. Envy is uh, something, remember, that was the motivation behind the Pharisees turning Christ over to the Romans to crucify Him. Now, I, re I know that the Old Testament talks about Christ going to the cross and being crucified. But, brethren, the motive behind the Pharisees they turned him over for envy. Envy is a dangerous thing amongst Christians. What do you mean envy? And that, that's, when you think of envy, you may say, I, don't, I can't quite wrap myself around what envy is. Because it says this, that envy is something that would cause us to bite and devour one another. Um, brethren, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's only in America but i got to tell you, there's some Christians over in America that bite each other. Does that happen in Australia? Y'all seen each other get bitten a little bit? And if we're not careful, the Bible cautions us not to devour one another. And the devouring would be over envy. Uh, let, me, let me ask you to focus in now on one of the devices. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And I hope this resonates tonight with the, the background to this device, this wile, this trick, this something that would cause us to envy one another. And, and may I say, you may not quite have envy in your mind yet, but maybe this will help to nail it down just a little bit more. We're, we're studying tactics of the enemy. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would, and notice verse 12. Verse number 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Now, brother, I want to make this statement to you. One of the devices or schemes, advantages the devil would try to have over us is to cause us to compare ourselves among ourselves in a carnal way. Please listen, comparing, comparing. Uh, like, uh, like there's positive comparing, like I may hear a preacher preach, look at myself, compare my preaching to his preaching and say, boy, I could learn something from him. But he's not up there commending himself. What I have to be careful of, please listen, when I go to meetings to preach, I have to be careful about comparing myself to that guy preaching up there and if you would, it be debilitating to me to where I'm comparing myself 
in a, in, a, in a carnal way, and not to bite or devour him, but if not careful, please listen, I bite and devour myself. Like, you ever heard Kurt Skelly preach? Talk to me a little bit. Did you ever preach after Kirk Skelly preached? I have a few times. And after he's done preaching, I'm thinking, there's nothing there. Because he's articulate, he's got depth to his preaching. And if I'm not careful, I could sit back there before I preach and bite and devour myself. Please listen up, because I'm comparing myself in a wrongful manner. And brethren, we're all different and supposed to be different. Come on, is that right? But within a church, this comparison type of thing can come up and there can be a carnality developed between insecurities that can develop with comparing. And so here's what he says. Comparing ourselves among themselves are not, it's, it's not wise to do. Why? Please listen. Comparing can produce carnality. Now, may I say this without getting in trouble tonight? And I want you to come back to church tomorrow morning or tomorrow night too. But it's not just the men that compare themselves among themselves. It can be women. It, it, can, be, it can be families. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I, I, one time I remember a, a lady came to me doing some counseling and she said, I wish I had a marriage like you all have. I said, what? She said, I wish my husband and I had a marriage like you and Patty have. And I thought, what crossed my mind is, how do you know what kind of marriage we have? How do you know I don't go home and beat my wife? She was looking at it kind of publicly, though, and said, I wish you had a marriage like I had. And she, like, I wish we, and I said, now, what, what are you saying? Are you, are you comparing your husband to me? And she hung her head and she said, why, well, I, I probably do. And I said, let, let, let me tell you something, sister. My socks stink. And I tar started to downgrade myself in front of her. Why? Because I didn't want her comparing her husband to me. He had attributes that I don't have. He had things about him that I, I, could, I, I don't have. Maybe she viewed some things and, and got a little infatuated, if you would. Are you still with me? Because I was up there preaching a little bit. But, but I told her, look, let, 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 let me call my wife in and she can tell you the problem she has with me. And let's get rid of some of these comparisons because you're throwing your husband under the bus. I said, I'm not very affectionate. She says, oh, you must be. I said, let's call my wife. And I, I listed two or three things more. You say, what are they? None of your business. And I, I listed two or three things more. Look, I wasn't commending myself. I was trying to downplay myself so she would stop comparing. What we need to be careful of is this comparison where it causes envy. Uh, watch what I'm talking about, if you would. And, and by the way, this, this envy is a very, very, if you vary a very, very tricky device. Wiles. Envy. Brethren, you don't want to envy people in the world, and you don't want to envy people at church. 
The opposite of envy is contentment. Come on, you still with me? And what I'm saying to you tonight is we want to be careful about comparisons. Uh, in, in what way? Well, uh, go with me just for a couple minutes. Look at Mark chapter 2. Please look at Mark chapter 2. And I want you to, I want you to see a culture that we, a culture, an environment, uh, an attitude, a culture that we don't want to duplicate in any way, shape, or form. Look if you would at Mark chapter 2. Notice if you would verse number 18. Look at verse 18. And the disciples of John and the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Uh, please look at verse number 18. And if you write in your Bible, write comparison. Because what they were doing is say that well, the Pharisees fast and, and uh, you know the disciples of John fast. Well, why don't your disciples fast? Jesus has an answer for that. And he says, can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with him? And he says uh, later they're going to fast. But the idea was, you remember that Pharisee that, uh, that compared himself to that publican and says, I fast twice in a week. I give tithes. I do this, I do that. And that guy was not in touch with God. And that publican smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me. Fasting doesn't make you have the right heart. It's nothing wrong with, with fasting. There's nothing wrong with that, brother. But in this case, fasting was works to them. And what they were saying is, we're doing all this. Why don't your disciples do that? Well, Jesus had an answer. What we want to be careful of is, we never want a culture to say, well, our church does this. Why doesn't your church do that? Or that church does this. Why don't we do that? Careful. Or that family, boy, we and our family do this, and that family doesn't do that. Careful. Careful. The comparisons can cause envy and carnality. You still with me? Especially if there's a judgment involved where one's superior and one's inferior. I'm pausing here for a moment because remember what we're talking about is the accuser of the brethren placing blame and fault using devices that we're not supposed to be ignorant of, tactics that can get in on us like uh, there's two ways to go. We can judge others with this comparison or we can feel like they're judging us in comparison. And by the way, if we feel like they're judging us, it can produce insecurity in a church. It can produce insecurity in a family. Is this making sense to you yet? We're going to continue on. And let me just make a suggestion to you. Even if it's making no sense, just say, hmm, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'll dismiss you much earlier tonight. I want you to go away, though, with thinking and pondering the device of comparisons in a carnal way. Uh, the wile, the trick of comparisons. It was, it was bred into the culture of the Pharisees. Why are we fasting, but your disciples aren't fasting? Why, why do we do this, and you've not taught yours to do this? There was a blame that was going on. Take your Bible with me. Look at John chapter number 9. Stay with me. John chapter number 9. 
And we never want this attitude to creep into our churches, if you would. There's nothing wrong with the, the kind of comparison to make ourselves better for edification, but most of our comparisons uh, are, are carnal. Look at John chapter 9. This is where the, the young boy that was born blind. Jesus heals him. And let's pick it up in verse number uh, 24. Look at John chapter 9, verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, and this guy had been blind since his birth, and Jesus had given him sight. Give God the praise. We know that this man, speaking about Jesus, is a sinner. Well, here's what the blind man said. The blind man answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. That's pretty point blank, amen? The blind man was not going to judge the guy who gave him his sight. Come on, is that right? Then they said, uh, then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? I want you to know that sarcasm. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciples, but watch, we are Moses' disciples. Please listen, that's comparison. That's strong comparison, and I could show you, and you, could, you know many places where they were kind of lifted up and commended themselves like we're Moses' disciples. One time Jesus said, Before Moses was, I am. The idea was we're Moses' disciples. Verse 29, we know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not. Notice the comparison attitude. Notice the envying attitude. Notice the backbiting attitude. Please look up here. Notice the blinding attitude. What do you mean blinding? The man that was blind, now he sees, but he was talking to some Pharisees that were blinded. They were blinded with their own comparison pride. So the blindness of you, man, the man, verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why, herein is a marvelous thing. Notice the sarcasm. This, look, this blind man is not afraid of these guys at all. These, I wonder how many times he heard them talking about him through his life. What do you mean? Because they viewed blindness as he had done something wrong or his parents had done something wrong. Come on, is that right? Well, he wasn't afraid of them at all. That you know not from whence he is, and he hath opened my eyes. Now, we know that God heareth not sinners. This is all sarcasm, talking about their own doctrine. But if any man be a worshiper of God, and he doeth his will, him will he heareth. By the way, the end of this whole thing, verse 34, they answered and said unto him, Thou was altogether born in sins. Dost thou teach us? And their answer was to cast him out. May I say to you, he could care less about being cast out of the boys' club. Come on. He was seeing for the first time, and by the way, Jesus found him a little bit later. Come on, is that right? But the idea was, we are Moses' disciples. We are of, of this personality. That, that, that concept of commending ourselves and comparing ourselves is just not wise and can cause carnal envy. Let's go on just a little bit more. And I, wanna, I want you to see this, this attitude. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 23 real quick. Matthew chapter 23. You say, I'm not doing that. Good. The reason I'm giving you this as one of his devices is that you think in your own mind tonight and let the Holy Spirit show you and say, 
am I privately doing any comparisons that are carnal? I'll say that again. I want you to, I want you to go away from this tonight thinking this way. Lord, if I'm privately doing any comparisons that are carnal, please help me to stop that. And by the way, please listen, nobody else would know you're doing it. I can have carnal comparisons going on up here and nobody knows I'm doing it. But the Holy Ghost does. And I'm setting myself up to give Satan an advantage. It's a device. And I don't see the device being used. And that comparison, please look up here just for a moment, that comparison can demotivate. And that comparison, if we're not careful, once we start the action of comparison, then Satan has an advantage. And we don't want to get in the comparing mode. I'll show you in a minute why. Look, if you would, at Matthew 23 and, and watch the comparisons again. Matthew 23, it's a culture. It's a culture. Look at Matthew 23, verse number 5. Verse number 5. All their works they, they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. By the way, that's a comparison. I have more phylactery width than you do. And enlarge the borders of their garments. That's with the scriptures, if you would. I know more scriptures. It's a comparison. And love the upper rooms at feast. It's like this competition comparison. And the chief seats in the synagogues. And uh, the greetings in the marketplace. The idea is that all this has to do with comparisons and who's being called what and who sits where. You know, praise the Lord, we don't have that in our Baptist circles. I hope we don't anyways. I hope, I hope you're not involved in Baptist circles that are comparing and comparing and comparing and doing all kinds of criticisms. May I say that again? Because I don't know you all. I hope you come back to church tomorrow night. I hope you're not reading junk on the internet about comparisons. I mean that. Because it can produce an attitude. And it's destructive. Oh, I, I go on to this website and I listen to what this guy says. Make sure, make sure that it's not a bunch of comparisons. Is that okay to say that? Hey, if you're getting something out of the guy's preaching, that's great. But be careful about the editorial comments that don't come from the Holy Ghost. Well, like, like comparisons, like what? Like things that we shouldn't even know about other people that are being broadcast in there. You say, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't read them, but I've worked with people who have, and it gets their minds all twisted up. And then if they're not careful, when they're reading comparisons, they start doing it at church. I'll say it again. When they're reading comparisons, then they can start doing it at church. And all of a sudden, Satan has an advantage. Because, brethren, what you're going to see at church is not everybody's perfect like you are. I'm smiling. You smile, too. Unless you feel like you are perfect, then... <laughs> Satan already has an advantage. The concept, brethren, of comparisons is it says it's not wise. All things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. And the concept, it's a culture of, 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 of comparisons. The Pharisees had a culture of comparisons, and it was carnal, and it was self-destructive. A lot of times churches, the world, don't, the world doesn't destroy churches. 
churches destroy churches. People within the churches destroy churches. And all I'm trying to get across to you tonight is one of his devices, one of his tactics, one of his wiles, one of his schemes. And maybe, maybe this is not something where you go, no, I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. I'm, I'm good with that. Good. Uh, mark it down to not let it come up as a habit way of thinking because in the Pharisees, they literally were not only biting and devouring at Jesus, but they were biting and devouring, please listen, at John the Baptist and his, and they were biting and devouring each other. There was a culture, if you would, of, of let me step on them and it allows me to step up, and that's not biblical. Look, if you would, at Luke chapter number 7 real quick. Luke chapter number 7. And what we're trying to learn tonight is a little bit how not to be like the Pharisees, if you would. But look, look at Luke, Luke chapter 7 real quick. And in Luke chapter 7, uh, notice, if you would, in verse number 29. Verse number 29. Uh, they're speaking about John the Baptist. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Well, what? because they weren't following John, they labeled him. Well, what do you mean they labeled him? Verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say he hath a devil. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Jesus says there's nobody greater born than John the Baptist. Verse number 28. Among those that are born of women, there's no, not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Well, the publicans and the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the Pharisees missed it because they were saying he hath the devil. And then it goes on to say, verse 34, look at verse 34. The Son of Man, Jesus, well, he's come eating and drinking, and ye say, behold, he's a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Brother, that's all comparisons, and the comparisons have now lent itself to to backbiting and, and if you would, uh, envy and trying to tear into someone else. And what we want to be careful of is what goes on up here in our minds. We don't want to attack the brethren as a result of comparisons that God didn't put in our heart to do. Now, if I compare myself like to a Kurt Skelly and say, I can learn something from him and I can be a better preacher. Well, that's a whole different thing than feeling inferior to someone that does a better job even when he's not trying to be superior. He's just doing his best. Brother, now, I like going to conferences where it's not a preaching contest. I do. I, I like preaching with friends and guys that even if you don't do very well, they encourage you, and it's not a contest. And there's not a ranking when it's over. People aren't holding up scorecards. You may have got affected by one. It was a great message, praise the Lord. Somebody might else got affected by a, a, a lesser message. But as long as God uses the message, it doesn't matter who's the greatest. We all just have our part to play. And it's good when it's that way because the Holy Spirit's not grieved in those kind of meetings. And, and I, th I think it's wonderful. I mean, uh, we'll go to Thailand before long and there'll be a few preachers over there, over with Brother Shemesh to, to preach to the crew over there in Thailand. But it's not a preaching contest. 
and we, we all get along just fine, and we encourage each other afterwards, we'll take notes, you know, from each other, and go away edified, but there's no ranking and no pecking order. That wasn't the way it was with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a pecking order, if you would. Not only were they against John the Baptist because of comparisons, please listen, not only were they against Jesus because of comparisons, but they were at each other. And they were biting, devouring because of envy. Envy. And it was all with comparison. Is this making sense tonight? Now, please, I, I prayed on the airplane. I prayed, Lord, let them, please let them listen. And then please allow the Holy Ghost to show each person where they need to be careful. Because tonight I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not scolding anybody. I'm saying let's not be ignorant. Let me say that again. If you feel like I'm scolding you, I'm not. If you feel like I'm hammering on you or not, what I'm doing is giving you a briefing and saying be careful of this trap. Be careful of this device. And I can't read your mind, so I don't know if you're doing it or not. I'm just saying be careful because you don't want to fall in this area. What do you mean? Well, uh, I don't serve at the church anymore down there because they don't like me. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who was it that said that we don't like you? See, we can get this inferiority, this complex, and it can be because of the comparing going on. Are you still with me? And it doesn't need to be there, and it's not even real. It's not even real. It's an imagination and doesn't need to be there. Now, may I say this? If I'm not even close to what the message is supposed to be tonight, just humor me, nod, go, mm. And when you walk out, shake my hand and say, good to see you, Pastor. You don't even have to say good message. Just say, good to see you, Pastor. And that'll be fine with me. But don't be surprised if somewhere in the next 24 hours, God says, now about that comparing. I want you to be careful in this area. And it may not even be an area I brought up, but he might, the Holy Ghost may say, be careful in this area. This is how this applies to you. And just be careful. Because these thoughts up here can create a culture and an environment. And if we're not careful, it can be a trick, a scheme, a wile, W-I-L-E, a plan, a device, where Satan could get a little bit of an advantage. And that's what we want to be guarding against. With your Bible again, one more time, look at Mark chapter 15, and then I'll give you something positive now that I've given you the negative. Is that all right? Yeah. Mark chapter 15, we're almost done. How's that? Oh, I knew you'd say amen to that. Almost is a relative term. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We are, we are we're almost done tonight. You say, you, you, did I come to church tonight? You came all the way over here to give us this? Please listen. Sometimes what we don't think is much. God can show us an area that's stumbling. See, you want to be careful of this. Please listen. If you work out in the business world, if you work out in the business world, it's full of comparisons. It is just full of comparisons that are cutthroat sometimes. We don't want that in churches. We, we don't want that. If you're in the military, there's a lot of comparisons. If you're in politics, it's full of comparisons. And what we don't want is religious politics going on. So look, if you would, uh, last scripture before we get to something positive. Look at Mark chapter uh, 14, 
and I just, I'm sorry, Mark 15, Mark 15, and let me remind you something, verse 10. For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for what? Envy. So the motivation was envy. And the chief priests moved the people. What was the motive? Envy. That they should release Barabbas unto them. Now, look, if the scriptures hadn't foretold, we know that that would have been a wrong thing to do. But the scriptures foretold that Jesus would be taken. But I want you to see the motive for them going after Jesus, for them wanting Jesus dead, was envy. Please listen. And it was envy due to the fact that Jesus was gaining a following. And they were worried about losing their position and their status. And I could show you the scripture for that. Brother, now envy can make people insecure. I'll say it again. Envy can, can turn around and be something that makes people insecure where they don't, they don't want to do as much because that insecurity becomes what's in their windshield. And that's all they can see. Uh, let me give you two scriptures that would counter this, if you would, and we'll be done tonight. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 2. You already know these, but I want you to look at them in your mind tonight because it's like, well, what do I do? What do I do? Here's the attitude we're supposed to have, Philippians chapter 2. And again, the concept tonight is comparing. That produces this concept of envy that can be a culture in our mind if we're not careful. So uh, <coughs> Philippians chapter 2, and notice verse 3. <coughs> verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or what? Uh, vain glory. Do you remember uh, uh, earlier on we talked about something was in vain and it was over in Galatians. Let me just pull it up again real quick because it says uh, this, um, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, there's something about vain glory, uh, uh, empty, wanting glory for ourselves. So let nothing be done where you're at, verse through strife or vain glory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Brethren, if I esteem you and say you're already better than I am, please listen, I'm not going to compare myself against you. Huh? If, I, if I already decided all the preachers I'm preaching with are better than me, I'm not going to compare myself. I already got that settled. What do you mean? When I walk in the door, they're all going to preach better than me are, than I am, so I don't have to worry about comparing. I already got that settled. And by the way, I want them to do better than I do. I'll say that again. I want them to do better than I do. Can I say that one more time? Because it says, look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Uh, when we have the mindset that we want all the people around us, all the Christians around us to do better than we do, and we already esteem them higher than ourselves, please listen, it takes away the comparison. Brother Gus, if I want the best for you, and I already think you're better than I am, I'm going to commend you, I'm going to encourage you, and I'm not going to compare myself to you. That's already settled. I want God to bless you more than he blesses me. I want to look on your things, and I want everything that God wants for you, and therefore I'm not going to compare myself to you. I've already got that established because I'm esteeming you higher than myself. Does that make sense? It takes away the comparisons. 
It's a wonderful way to live. I didn't get many amens right there. You say, well, I'm not sure how that takes away the comparison. If I already decide I want the best for Gus, why would I even think about comparing myself to him? If I already want him to do better than I do and I already got it in my mind that however he preaches, I'm going to commend him for that, I'm not going to compare in a carnal way. And I'm not going to feel put down by him because I want him to do well. There's a big difference. I'm not in competition. Comparing can be competitive. Now you say, boy, you've got to be in competitive competition to have drive. Please listen, not carnally with Christians. I'll say it again, not carnally with Christians. N not to where one gets esteem higher than the other. Uh, be careful, the teenagers in here. Uh, don't, don't get comparing yourselves with one another. Man, if you're playing instruments up here, don't get comparing yourself one with another. Do your best and want the other person to do their best too. But don't be comparing yourself up here if you're in the orchestra or, or if you're singing or something like that. I've equated it to preaching because that's what I do. I don't play an instrument. I don't sing. If you heard me sing, you'd kind of go, no, that's okay, brother. We don't need that anymore. <laughs> the, the, listen, the idea, though, is if we can just combat comparison, then Satan doesn't have an advantage. If we can esteem each other higher, if we can prefer one another above ourselves, then we get away from the comparisons and it creates a culture where everybody can do their best, run their race the best they possibly can. Please look up here. Nobody's trying to stumble each other and nobody applauses when somebody stumbles because it's not that kind of competition. If we have any type of, of competition, it's to encourage each other to do our best. It's to run our race, and we can all cross the finish line together and not comparisons like, like boy, he's doing so much more than me. Brother, may I mind you something? One was given five, one was given two, and one was given one according to their several ability. Everybody has different ability levels, and everybody has different skill sets. And God distributes and measures out according to ability level because God can see that. Well, when it all came down to it, the one that gained five, who was given five, God said, well done. The one that had two and gained two more, God said, well done. The only one that was displeased with was the one he gave one to, and the guy didn't do anything with it. Didn't even try. God's displeased when we don't try. But I want to tell you something. The one that had five should not look at the one that had two and say, I'm doing so much more than you. Come on, are you still with me? No, it's not, it's not that kind of comparison. It's not that kind of competition. If you were given two, man gained two more, and God's going to say to you, well done. And what I'm supposed to do is help you to gain those two. If I was the one given one, Whatever I do, don't hide it in a napkin, please listen, and don't get an inferiority complex on the one that was given five. Everybody gets it according to their several ability. But as long as we cross the line and do our best, God says, well done. Is this making sense to you all tonight? Whatever you do when you walk out of here, all you do is say something like this, Lord, if I'm involved in comparisons in a carnal way in my mind, please show me. Why? Nobody else needs to know. So Satan doesn't have an advantage over me.
so Satan doesn't have an upper hand. Please listen. So Satan doesn't have a foothold to accuse me. So Satan can't find fault and blame with me and put me down. So I don't set myself up where I have an evil day and I don't stand properly. Well, what could happen inside of me? Please listen. I could get envious or I could get jealous. Or I could start biting and devouring. Or I could start hanging around with those that do and feel comfortable. What do you mean? If I get around people that are biting, devouring, I want to feel uncomfortable. I'll say it again. If I'm around people that are biting and devouring, I want to feel uncomfortable. One more time. You say, why do you want to feel uncomfortable? Because that's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Sadducees did. And I'd never want to be comfortable around a Pharisee or a Sadducee, even if they were Baptists. Now, please listen. Does that mean we're not supposed to have distinctions and doctrines and beliefs? No, I think we ought to have distinctions. I think we ought to have doctrines. I think we ought to have beliefs. I think we ought to have standards. I think we ought to have all that, but I don't think we need to try to play the Holy Ghost because we're not the Holy Spirit. And the judgment seat, it's not, we're not going to appear before the judgment seat of Doug. Come on, you still with me? And praise the Lord, we're not going to appear before the judgment seat of Brother Hernan. It's the judgment seat of Christ. And I trust in His mercy and His perfect judgment. And that He wants us to do the best we can to glorify Him. So please, as you go out of here tonight, all I want you to ponder and think about, it's a Wednesday night, this is not, oh man, that was a life-changing message. Please listen, it'll be a life-changing message if the Holy Ghost speaks to you. Not because of me. And it'll be over time. And the Lord might say, now be careful in this area, you're comparing too much. You're setting yourself up, be careful. You're, you're, you're making somebody superior to you when they're not. You're making yourself inferior when you're not because you're comparing yourself. You're judging them when you don't need to because you're comparing yourself. And they'll just, the Holy Ghost will just show you, uh, get rid of that. Start thinking well about people. Yeah, but they're judging me, but don't revile back. We want to be Jesus' disciples. Well, why aren't your apostles or why aren't your disciples fasting and uh, his answer was uh, can the children of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is here they'll start fasting when the bridegroom is taken he had it all planned out but they were measuring themselves among themselves and commending themselves among themselves and by that time please listen they were just going through the motions of it because it says that that Pharisee he, fa he said I fast twice in a week I give tithes. And the Bible also said, and he prayed with himself. He wasn't praying unto God. He was talking to himself. Let's not compare ourselves among ourselves or commend ourselves to where there's biting, backbiting, jealousy, envy, to where we devour one another or worse yet, devour ourselves because it's one of Satan's devices. Pastor, why don't you come? This, is maybe, this may not be it. Everybody floods to the altar, but I want you to wait, go away. And as long as you go away, this, come on up, preacher. As long as you go away with this, the altar call might be 
Hmm. Let me think about that. And let the Holy Ghost work on us just a little bit. Pastor, you come.